a high note. I was straining for him. He did a great job. Well, Gail, you were right. This is a great service today. You enjoy it? Thank these guys for doing it. You may want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53 and hold it there. We're going to be back in that book again. In fact, I got a little email from the one who prepares the lessons, uh, Brenda, who prepares the life notes, and she said, uh, you're making this hard on me. I'm running out of stuff on Isaiah 53. So this is the last sermon on Isaiah 53, but it's a great passage of Scripture. Hold your fingers there, and we'll be to it in just a minute. Some years ago, an American historian wrote a book entitled, When the Cheering Stops. It was a story about President Woodrow Wilson and the events leading up to and following World War I. After World War I was finished and won, President uh, Wilson was really proclaimed an international hero. And in fact, uh, everywhere he went, he was greeted as a hero. He went over to Europe, and uh, in France, the mob just cheered him on and on, and then same thing happened in England, same thing happened in Italy. On his first visit to Paris, he was proclaimed a wonderful leader. Everybody thought that this, was, this war had ended all wars, and that democracy would be safe for all generations. But as people are, the cheering began to stop in about a year or so. And in fact, the leaders of Europe got on their own agenda, and they were more concerned about their agenda than they were about peace in the world. And at home, President Wilson ran into difficulty with Congress, and his League of Nations was not approved, and he was discouraged. His party was not elected in the next election, and so President Wilson really died a broken and defeated individual. But you know, the story of the cheering mobs is not a new story. It's an old story. I discovered as a pastor over the years, people can sing your praises today, but tomorrow they may not be singing your praise. You make one decision they don't like, and they don't like you. And so we discover that the crowd in Jerusalem was singing the praises of Jesus. They were shouting Hosanna to him. They were proclaiming him to be their king. He was the long-awaited, expected Messiah that was going to deliver them from Rome forever. And they were going to set up this nation and they would rule the world. That was their expectation. And on Sunday they praised him. But by Thursday... They had been so stirred up that no longer were they cheering Jesus, they were screaming to the tops of their voice, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Perhaps as we've been leading up to the Lenten season, you may have asked yourself the question, Who crucified Jesus? Who really did it? Well, I... Uh, have a book in my library. I have some new books. I have some old books. This one is a very old book written by Dr. Roy Angel, who was pastor years ago of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. It was at that time one of the largest churches in the nation. Great preacher. 
He asked that question in one of the books that I opened up a few weeks ago and read. And this was the very issue that one of the chapters dealt with. And I've got to be frank with you this morning. I'm intermingling his thoughts and my thoughts. Is that okay with you if I do that? And share with you who really crucified Christ. I want to read the passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a messianic passage about the suffering Savior. And so we ask again, who crucified Christ? Well, the gospel writers tell us it was the Romans, and Pontius Pilate, Pilate finally gave the okay for Jesus to be put to death. Let's dig a little deeper than that. Who crucified Christ? The answer to that question, I believe, first of all, is God did. God crucified Christ. The text says, Yet we considered him smitten by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Think about the story of Abraham for a moment. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham has come to the conclusion that God wants him to put Isaac to death as a sacrifice to him. I honestly, frankly, struggle with that part of the scripture at that point. I believe it, but it's hard for me to, to come to that conclusion. And yet that's what he believed in his heart that God wanted him to do. The only heir to the throne of his kingdom that was going to be established that God had promised. And so he takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah and he ties his hands and ties his feet and lays him down on an altar that's been prepared and he raises the knife and is ready to plunge it into his son and sacrifice him to his God that he has grown to love. And there is a voice that comes from heaven. And the voice stops him and says, don't do that. And a lamb is provided. And the sacrifice is made, but it was not Isaac. Compare that with Jesus laying down, lying down on the cross, on the ground. His arms are outstretched. And they take a nail to put into his hand. And there is no voice from heaven. God does not speak. An angel does not come. And the nails are driven into Jesus' hands and into his feet. And the cross is raised. And God was silent. The heavens were still. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
Roy Angel says of that, here is one of the most glorious, distinctively tenets of Christianity. Herein Christianity stands above every other religion of the world. From the beginning of time, men have realized that they have sinned and they have displeased God and they have offered sacrifices, blood sacrifices to appease their God. They have uh, brought their possessions and laid at the altar trying to appease the wrath of God against their sins. And they have to, in their mind, make some kind of sacrifice so that this will take place. God will be appeased. But in Christianity, it's different. You see, God, not man, furnishes the sacrifice. Every other religion, if there's a sacrifice to be made, man brings the sacrifice. But here, God brings the sacrifice. God so loved the world that He gave, gave His one and only Son. Though Jesus, and through Jesus, God furnishes the sacrifice for our sins, the atonement. The theme of the Bible is not man seeking God, but it's God seeking man. It is not the sheep seeking the shepherd, but it's the shepherd seeking the sheep. Under the Old Testament system, every worshiper had to bring a sacrifice to God. If he had no lamb, he had to buy a lamb. He couldn't borrow a lamb. No one could give him a lamb. He had to provide his own lamb for the sacrifice. But in the New Testament, it isn't so. It's just absolutely reversed of that. God provides the lamb. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, provided by God Himself. And so in a very glorious and wonderful way, God crucified Jesus. Second answer to the question, who crucified Jesus, is that Jesus crucified Jesus. He did it Himself. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus talks about giving up his life, and he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. You didn't take it from me. You're not killing me. I'm giving my life, he says. I'm giving it down, uh, laying it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And he says, This command I received from the Father. So he didn't have to do it. He had such power. He had miraculous powers. He, he performed many, many miracles. The feeding of the 5,000, the changing the water into wine, and on and on and on of miracles. And then he healed so many people from sicknesses, from dreaded diseases. He raised the dead. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him that day. But he chose not to. Pilate said to him, you don't answer me? Don't you know I have the authority, the power to kill you? And Jesus said, you have no power, but only the power that is given to you by God. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman 
tells the story of a brother and sister. The little sister is very, very ill and needs a blood transfusion. He explains to the parents that the disease she had, the little brother had, two years before, and he got better. But if she does not have a blood transfusion from someone who has had the disease and has conquered the disease, she's going to grow weaker and weaker and die. And the little boy is now healthy and robust. They have the same rare blood type, and so he's the perfect donor. And so the doctor goes to the little boy with the agreement of the parents and says to him, would you give your blood for your sister? He thinks a little bit, and his little lip begins to quiver and tremble. And he says, uh, sure, for my sister I will. So they wheel both of them into the hospital room. They uh, don't say anything to each other, but when their eyes meet, he smiles at her. But when they put the needle in his arm, the smile fades. It would me too. And he watches as the blood goes out of his vein into the tube over into his sister's arm. And they're just about finished. And he says to the doctor, Doctor, now when do I die? And suddenly the doctor realized why he was hesitant and why his little lip trembled. He believed that when he gave his blood to his sister, he was going to die. He made a mammoth decision for a little kid in a short moment. Johnny, fortunately, did not have to die to give Mary his blood, his little sister. But each of us, we have a condition far worse than Mary's condition. And Jesus not only gave his life blood, he gave his life so that you and I could be free from sin. So in a very real sense, Jesus willingly laid down his life and crucified himself. The third answer to the question, who crucified Jesus, is we did it. We did it. Not the Romans, not the Jews. We did it. Look at verses 4a and 5 and 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We did it. We crucified Christ because Jesus took our sins to the cross. Sin drove the nails in his hands. You know something? The very sins that were present on Golgotha's hill are present in our society today. 
Dorothy Sayers, in the book, The Man Born to be King, says, God was executed by people painfully like us in a society similar to our own, by a corrupt church, a timid politician, a fickle proletariat, I'll get it out in a minute, led by professional agitators. You see, the Sadducees were people that were very greedy. They had a great desire for money. They took financial advantage of the worshipers who came. You couldn't use your money. You had to use temple money, and they charged exorbitant prices to exchange the money. And if you brought a lamb, they would look at the lamb, and they'd say, that lamb is not perfect. They had to be perfect to be offered in the, in the temple. That lamb has a blemish on it. You'll have to buy this lamb. And so they'd charge an exorbitant price for that lamb, and they'd take their lamb and put it in the same cage to sell to someone else. Jesus wit witnessed this. He watched it. And one day he became aggravated at it. It's all right to have holy, righteous indignation called anger. If you're angry at the right thing. And he made a whip and he turned their tables, money changing tables over. And he drove them out of the temple saying, you have made my house a den of thieves when it was a, a house of prayer. And so greed that day crucified Jesus. And then there was cowardice. You know, Pilate wanted to free Jesus. He didn't find any sin in him. He found no wrong in him. There was no reason to crucify him. And yet he was afraid of the crowd. He was afraid of what Caesar might think. And he gave in a coward. Have you and I ever been a coward? We didn't stand up for someone whose reputation was being talked about, and we knew it was wrong, but we kind of kept, well, we kept quiet. There have been injustices done, and we did not take a stand. We were cowards. We've had greed, and we've had cowardice. There was another sin that walked the streets of Jerusalem that day, and it was the sin of wrong choices. Because, you see, Pilate offered them Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas was a criminal. Jesus had done nothing wrong. And that day, the crowd chose Barabbas. Have you ever made a wrong choice in your life? <laughs> Have we? Have you ever said... I want to be free to live my life the way I want to live it without any restraints. Have you ever said, I want to live my life, I don't want my parents interfering with my life? I don't want my husband or my wife interfering. I don't want my children interfering. I, I don't want my boss telling me what to do. I don't want the preacher or the church telling me how I've got to live. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to live it the way I please. And when we have that attitude, I can tell you, you're like Britney Spears. You're headed in a downward spiral. And most often, when we do that, we mess our lives up badly. 
And then at the cross that day was the sin of manipulation. Of course, you and I have never manipulated anybody. The, 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 the uh, people that day, the officers of the day, they went around and manipulated people so that they would testify falsely against Jesus. They manipulated the crowd that day. Got them riled up so they would scream, crucify him and want his death. You can see quite clearly that it was sin. Sins that you and I possess. Not just sins that they had back then that crucified Jesus. Now, what, what should we do in light of this crucifixion? What should we do in light of the cross? Well, I would suggest that, first of all, we just get on our knees. And we thank God for His love and His compassion and His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace. How gracious He has been to us to go to the cross and die for the sins that we're guilty of. He knew no sin. There's a modern parable about a parochial middle school. Young boy stands in front of the principal with his back arched and his hands clenched. And he says to the principal, go ahead, give it to me. The principal says, how many times have you been in my office? kid smart eloquently says, not enough, I guess. It's hard to be a principal. I'd want to send him through the wall. So I have great respect for principals. And he says, uh, you have been hit with the belt every time you've been in, haven't you? says, yeah, and I can take anything you give me. The principal pauses for a moment and thinks, and then he says, today you're going to understand and learn about grace. The boy says, you mean you're going to let me off? The principal said, yes, I'm going to let you walk. He studied the principal's face just a little bit. He said, you mean no punishment at all? The principal said, oh, there has to be punishment. Because what you did was wrong. And wrong always has consequences and has to be punished. The boy said, I knew it. So he held his hands up. The principal took hold of the belt and folded it handed it to the boy's teacher. He said to the boy, you count. And the principal extended his hands. And the first lash of the belt came across his hands. One. Two. Three. And by the fourth one, the boy had tears in his eyes and said, stop, stop, that's enough. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The sweat had come out on the principal's brow. 
His hands were now puffy and swollen. And he lays one of those hands on the boy's shoulders and said one word, grace, grace. That's the cross. That's the cross. Grace. Don't continue to crucify him again and again by continuing in sin. Accept the cross. Accept the grace. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to submit to the cross, to submit to this wonderful gift that God gave to us and that Jesus gave to us. And we're so unworthy, and yet that's grace. Be with the person here today who is in the throes of making a decision. Help them to accept the grace in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand? your life will be a sanctuary where he can live is by acceptance of his gift at the cross for your sins none of us are worthy but the wonderful thing is he made us worthy he took our place if someone yanked you from a car in the street and saved your life but their life was taken. You would forever be grateful to them and you would remember them and you would try to do anything you could to help that family that lost their loved one. 